Good evening, everyone. Tonight's class is titled The King is in Our Reach, Part 3. And last week, we began the famous analogy of the king being in the field and how when, he, when the king, when the king is in the field, he's accessible to all and whoever approaches the king the king shows him a, a smiling countenance and a happy face. So what exactly is specifically special about the month of Elul? And this class we're going to kind of wrap it all together. But before I do that, last week we had a fantastic question Dr. Melov asked, and that was if you look, let's read the analogy itself again. Second page, this concept. Third paragraph, this concept. This concept can be illustrated by way of analogy. Before a king enters a city, its inhabitants go out to greet him and receive him in the field. At that time, anyone who so desires may go out and greet him. He receives them all pleasantly and shows a smiling countenance to all. As he proceeds to his city, they follow him. Afterwards, when he reaches his pa royal palace, one may only enter his throne room with permission. And this is granted only to the nation's elite, to a select few. During the month of Elul, we say, we're like the people of the city that have gone out to the field. And the question was raised. We say that once the, once the king goes back to the city, only the nation's elite are invited in. So, ask, so comes Dr. Yosef and he asks, he says, but I thought in Tishrei, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're all in the king's throne room. So how does that work? We're saying that the king is only accessible in Elul, and yet it happens to be that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are all in the king's throne room. It's a fantastic question. And the answer is even greater. The answer is that by us doing our part during Elul, not only the king is in the field in Elul, but by us creating a strong friendship with the king during Elul, we're not one of, when the king is in the field, there's two things that could happen. You could go and ask him for a million dollars, maybe he'll give it to you. Or you could go and, and you have accessibility to him and become a good friend. The month of Elul, we're not just coming to the king for a one-time request. This is an active movement during the month of Elul. To come closer to Hashem, Tashuv, to come closer to... Ah! Relationship. Relationship, exactly. So now when it comes to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we're all of a sudden the nation's elite. So, in order to become the nation's elite, to be able to be welcome into the king's palace in Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we need this special month of Elul to zoom in and connect with the king to connect with Hashem. But now, we said during the month of Elul, the 13 attributes of mercy, the Yud Gimul Midot HaRachamim, are shining. But what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that there's these 13 energies that are illuminating? And I'd like to share with you what I found fascinating. We know God created the world, the, the world 
in Hebrew. And those same Hebrew words that w with which God created the world are active. The words are active. The Hebrew language is very holy. It's precise. Lashon HaKodesh, the holy tongue, is because there's no curse words in the holy tongue. Not in Hebrew, not in Ivrit. In Ivrit, unfortunately, in modern day, they, it's not anymore holy. But if you look at the Lashon HaKodesh, it is pure. The Torah, so much so, is pure, that in numerous places the Torah doesn't write this is impure. The Torah will write an animal is not pure. And we see this in many cases. Yes. Doug. Can you give a time orientation to me to help me fix this? Was the giving of the 13 after roots when uh, uh, Moshe was on Sinai? The, exactly. The giving of, uh, at the same time as this time of year? Yes. Okay, thanks. So, gathering together, the Hebrew language is, is perfect. It is precise, it is holy. And that is why we're able to deduce a lot from someone's name. Have I shared the story before about the man who didn't... about why we, why we do mayim, achronim? We wash our hands after eating? There's numerous reasons why, after we eat, we take water and we pass it over our lips. Are we familiar with this custom of Mayim Achronim? I'm familiar with where you wash your hands. Wash it on your hands and then you pass it over your lips. Yeah, it's the same custom. You put it on your fingertips and then you pass it over your lips. One of the causes for this was a story that happened with Rabbi Meir in the times of the Talmud 2,000 years ago, where he, together with his friends, were on a, on a journey and it came Shabbos and they were holding money they needed to put their money somewhere. So his friends go to the innkeeper and they say, could you watch our money for us? Rabbi Meir, he went and hid his money over Shabbos. Anyways, during Shabbos, they're all talking together. They said, why didn't you give your money to this man? He says, I heard his name. His name right now is slipping me. It's slipping my mind. But Rabbi Meir at the time, he says, his name tells us he's up to no good. He's a thief. And that's what happened after Shabbos. Unfortunately, the rabbis went back to the man and they said, where's our money? He said, what money? Who, what? The rabbis didn't know what to do. Finally, Sounds like they, needed they, they, they needed Hillel Shlomo. Correct. They devised a plan. They saw in his in his mustache that he had had lentils that morning. So they went to his wife, he was not a non-Jew, they went to his wife and they said, your husband said give us the money. She's like, what money? Who what? They said, no, no, we have a proof. He told us. He had lentils for breakfast. And uh, she went ahead and she gave them the money. Unfortunately, he came home and he got rid of his wife. But um, it's a tragic story. But the point of the story is Rabbi Meir Daik. Rabbi Meir Daik Bishma. Rabbi Meir could look at your name and know about you. And let's talk about the word Panim. What does Panim mean? Face. What else does the word Panim mean? Face. Inside. Panimiyut. Inside. That's right. Panim 
So panim, the same word, means your face and your inside. Why? Because very often when you look at someone's face, you can see what's inside. From your whole body, what expresses your inside? The most. I'm not, certainly at times we could hide it. But as a whole, which part of your body expresses your inside? What expresses your panimiyot? Your panim. And so, when we say, Yisa Hashem Panavilecha, when we say the words that God will cause His countenance to shine upon you, His face, when we say that Hashem's face should shine upon us, it's not just an expression. No. Hashem's face is His essence. And this essence of Hashem, the Pnimiyut of Hashem, is what shines when the 13 attributes of mercy are shining. Let's see this inside. It's beautiful. We're up to, to explain the analogy. Here we go. Fourth paragraph on the second page. To explain the analogy of the king of the field in the month of Elul, we establish a relationship with God. Listen to the next words. Within the context of our mundane realities. We keep on doing what we're doing and we connect with Hashem in that way. We go out to receive the light of His countenance in the field. We're going to the Sadeh to receive the Or, Panim, the Or of Hashem, the light of Hashem, so to speak, as it is written, Yisa Hashem Panavelecha, God will cause His countenance to shine upon you. This is one of the three passages that the Kohanim, the priests, are supposed to bless the Jewish people every day. One of the blessings is God should cause His countenance to shine upon you. What is the countenance of Hashem? What is the panim of Hashem? This refers to the emanation of the Yud Gimel Midot Rachamim, the 13 attributes of mercy, in a manner that allows them to be received face to face. When the Kohen blesses the Jewish people, Yisah Hashem Panavilacha, that Hashem's face should illuminate, this is a reference to the 13 attributes of mercy illuminating. And they should illuminate face to face. The revelation of His inner will illuminates the source of the Jewish souls. The essence of Hashem should illuminate our essence. How do we accomplish this? How does Hashem's essence illuminate our essence? This results from turning the essence of our inner will towards Him. When we go ahead and we say, My inner will is to serve you, Hashem, cleaving to Him with our hearts and souls to connect, really be one with Hashem, indeed from the very depths of our hearts, and with self-sacrifice, as is explained in other texts. How do you know where someone's essence lies? You know what will they give up their life for? If we are really giving over our essence to Hashem, that means we're going to have self-sacrifice, Mesirat Nefesh. It does not mean we need to, God forbid, give up our life. But it does mean if we have a certain desire at a, cert at a specific time, so we're going to overcome that passion. We're going to be able to get past that. Yes? So the term Mesirot Nefesh means self-sacrifice? Yes. Or, or literally it means Mesirot, to give over Nefesh, your soul. To give up your soul. Okay. Yeah. But it's also because the divine essence of the Lord is a spark in our godly soul. What's that? 
Let's hold on. Let's see. Continues the mimer. This emanation, how do we get the essence of Hashem to illuminate? Every name of God has meaning. If you're a Sephardi, you'll know in the Sephardic sitter, on top of every name of Hashem, there's a specific intention you should have. The name of Havaya, Yud, then a Hey, then a Vav, then a Hey, that name of Hashem refers to the fact that Hashem is, that Hashem was, is, and will be. The name of Elohim refers to the fact that Hashem refers to the fact that Hashem is strong. The name of Kale, Aleph Lamed, refers to the fact. Let's see inside. This emanation, this essence of Hashem, is drawn down from the attribute of Aleph Lamed, Kale. Right, the, one of God's name is Aleph Lamed. That's why I don't pronounce it appropriately. I'm saying it in a fake way, Kale, because I wouldn't. We don't say God's name in vain. Which is the first of the 13 attributes of mercy. The first of the 13 attributes of mercy is the name Kale. It is the source for the others. We know in general the first includes everything else. For example, we say the first of the Ten Commandments includes all the Ten Commandments. The first letter of the Ten Commandments includes all of the Ten Commandments. The Aleph of Anochi, I of the Ten Commandments includes all of them. The first of the thirteen attributes of mercy includes the power of all thirteen. Your, your father, I don't know if you were here, it was like three Shabbos ago, your father gave a, she, whatever they were doing, the uh, Ten Commandments. Yes. That, so the, the first of everything is all-inclusive. It is the source for the others and includes them all. Okay, but now what does the name Kale mean? When we say the name Kale of Hashem, what is it a reference to? As implied by the verse, are you familiar with this from Hallel? Kale Hashem Vayoelanu. Kale Hashem Vayoelanu. What does that mean? We say it in Hallel. Kale Havaya shines light to us. Kale, the name of Hashem, which is Kale, Illuminates. Remember, the name of Yud and Ahed and Avav and Ahavaya refers to the fact that Hashem was, is, and will be. The name Elohim refers to the fact that Hashem is strong. The name Kale refers to the fact that Hashem is illuminating to us. This refers to the light of God's infinity itself. How do I know? As it is written, God, your Lord, is a consuming fire. Hashem is a consuming fire. Why is God called a fire? To explain by analogy, in a general sense, there is no distinction between fire itself and the light and rays which radiate from it. You don't come and say, oh, those rays of the fire, nothing to worry about. No. There's no difference between the rays of the fire and the fire itself. Similar, similarly, as it were, the light of His countenance, Hashem, that shines to the, to, that shines to the entire Jewish people emanates from the attribute of Kale and is the actual light of God's infinity itself. When Hashem is illuminating, His essence is illuminating to us. And now, again, we're going to learn something incredible. What are the Jewish people called? What's the name for the Jewish people? Yisrael. Yisrael. What does Yisrael mean? 
What? So you can say Yaakov. Okay, so we're hearing now Yisrael means to, it means, it's a name of God, it's a name of Yaakov. But what does it mean? To struggle with Hashem. So good, it could mean to struggle with Hashem. And let's take those words, struggle with Hashem. I want the meaning of his Yeah, yeah. Ma'apirush. Ah, that's a word. Sar-kel. Sar-shelayel. Oh. Yisrael means Sar. What's Sar? A master, a prince of Kale. A prince over Kale. Each Jew is Sar-kel. Is a prince over the name of God, which is Kale. What is the name of God, which is Kale? That's Hashem's essence shining to us. Inside of each and every one of us, the essence of Hashem is shining. So you'll ask, we should be called Sra'el, Sar Kale. What is the Yud at the beginning of Sra'el, Yisrael? Where does that come to? Makes it a verb, no? Or it's the future. Is it a future? The Yud could have numerous meanings, but one of the pieces that the Yud could mean is that it's constant. It's what? Constant. It's always. So, Sarkale, the fact that we are masters, we are masters and Hashem's essence is illuminating into us, is Yud. It's constant. This energy, that the 13 attributes of mercy is constantly illuminating and empowering us. Let's see this inside. Don't fall off your chair. Hold on. <laughs> because of their connection to this level of godliness, the Jewish people are called Israel, Yisrael. What does Yisrael mean? I.e. Sar, Kale. Means Kale is a ruler. Literally means Kale is a ruler. What does that mean inside of us? Who rules our body? What's illuminating inside of us? What's the ruler of our body? Sure. It's Kale. But not only Hashem, Kale. Kale is the name of Hashem illuminating. <coughs> the Yud, which begins the term of Yisrael, implies that this is an ongoing activity. Where do we find that the letter Yud represents something ongoing? We find the Yud serving this purpose in the verse, Kacha This is what Eiv would do with a Yud, telling us it's constant. So Sar Kale means that the master within us is Kale, this illumination is, is happening, and Yud, Yisrael, means it's constant. This means that the attribute of Kale enclosed within each Jew is ruler and master of his inner being in an ongoing manner. Beautiful. Yes? Eov refers to Job. That's right. This was just, we just quoted that passage in, con in passing to prove that the letter Yud over there, mm -hmm. like, like by the name Yisrael, is something constant. Are there any questions? Are, is, just by raise of hand, is this clear or it's unclear? Um, one, it's clear. Please, no, yes, Gershon. It's clear. Um, okay, so the translation of, of kale, mm -hmm. um, run off the translation, the meaning of it, even though it's an, it's a, it's an emanation of a shame, right? Mm -hmm. Kale, but also, implies your inner being. Kale itself means that Hashem is illuminating. Yisrael means that Sar, Kale, that, I, that the name Kale is illuminating in us. 
Kale just means there's illumination. It doesn't tell you where. When you say Yisrael, so that means Sar, the master of us, is Kale. This illumination is within each and every one of us. No, I'm just looking at what it says here. Each Jew is ruler and master of his inner being. That the attribute of Kale enclosed within each Jew is ruler and master of his inner being. Oh, Yes. Is this um, generally understood theology or is this a result? You're saying the meaning of Yisrael? As you have presented it with the aspect of the distinct emphasis on light. The fact that kale refers to light is proved by what we say in Hallel. Kale Hashem Vayar Lanu. If you want to see, we put on the previous page that Kale Havaya, second to last line of the previous page, it said, Kale shines light to us. Right here. Yes. So the fact that Kale, the name of Hashem Kale, is a reference to um, light shining upon us is actually from a verse. Okay, but do we pull that particular meaning out as disciples of the Arizal, or, is it, or can we expect uh, some to say, yeah, that's the, that's the way we believe it. I'm not sure the answer. Fair question. I don't know. Okay. For each Jew has an actual spark of godliness which grants life to his godly soul. How are we all living? There's a spark of godliness in us. And this spark is naturally drawn upwards, seeking to be illuminated by the light of life. Eitz Chayim. Or Hachayim. And to sacrifice itself for him. Every Jew has a godliness illuminating him. This godly spark transcends the power of wisdom or knowledge that exists in one's soul. For through wisdom or knowledge one could not obtain this aspect of divine service to efface one's own identity and to abandon all self-concern for God's sake. <coughs> for us to give up our lives is something that is not logical. It's something above logic. There's a famous question asked. Jewish people are not the only ones who give up their lives. Many people will fight till death. So what is so um, amazing about the Jew that we say he's willing to give up his life? And the answer is Yitzchak. Yitzchak was bound on an altar by his father Avram Avinu. His father was going to sacrifice him and his son Yitzchak was ready to be sacrificed. But there was no publicity. There was not one person in the world that was going to see that. People that have self-sacrifice today, many people are unfortunately willing to murder, that, to, to blow themselves up. But those people, they have other intentions in mind. They have other plans, what they're going to be rewarded with. with. The, the Jew, Avram, he was on the mountain, on the Temple Mount, with his son, not one person there to see, no one would ever know about it. His wife, Sarah, died, even he, after he didn't sacrifice Isaac. He, Yitzchak, she still died. 
and he still was going to sacrifice his son. You know, today you do everything for the picture, right? You have to post it immediately on Facebook, on WhatsApp, on Twitter, wherever it is. And that is what Masiris Nefesh is. It's I'm doing it for no ulterior motive whatsoever. And that we saw by Abraham, by, by Abraham and Isaac, Avram and Yitzchak. So this ability to go beyond ourselves with no ulterior motive is something that defies logic. And therefore the spark inside of us, this godly spark inside of us, is above our intellect. And this is the meaning. Now we know why Jewish people are called a child to Hashem. A child, and when I read this I investigated it. It's the definition is a true child. A true child. Not, it's not the fact that you're a biological child. A true child. A child that is dedicated to his father. This is the meaning. Let's see inside. This is the meaning of the verse. You are children of God, your Lord. A child is bra kara de avuha. A child is the foot and extension of his father. A child accepts his father's will with a commitment that disregards intellect or knowledge. I know some people are thinking here. I wish, right? But a, a true child will do what his father says, whether it, it makes sense or not. Just as a foot does not exist as a separate entity from the head and has no will of its own. Just as a foot will never go against the brain, so too a child will never go against his father. We are called children. Are we true children to Hashem? Think about it. Are we a true child? Are we following our instructions above logic? Well, if we are, well, then we've cashed in on the kale. We've cashed in on that illumination of sar kale, that illumination from kale that is shining the 13 attributes of mercy within us. And this is the meaning of our sages' counsel. Negate your will before his will. The, you know, the mission ethics of the fathers, Pirkei Avot says, Asei ritzono, ritzon chaki ritzono. Your will, make like Hashem's will. The Mishnah continues. A second step. Negate your will for Hashem's will. It's confusing. It starts off saying, make your will His will, make your will Hashem's will, and the Mishnah continues and says, negate your will for His will. Don't get confused. If you believe you're somebody, then you're not going to negate your own will. So the very least we're going to ask you, this somebody, is your will, make it like Hashem. It should be the same shouldn't clash. But the ultimate is negate your will for His will. Negate your, in, your own ideas. Follow Hashem's ideas. When you do that, you've gone above logic. In order for God's inner will to shine upon a person, He must negate all His personal desires to the point that He has no other desires at all. If you want Hashem to illuminate in you, you want Hashem's essence to shine on you, you have to shine your essence back. It's not a one-way street where Hashem should just give you everything and you could do whatever you want. No. Hashem's going to shine His essence, but you need to shine your essence back. Let's summarize this and then I'd like to show you the most incredible idea. And we'll look at these papers to see it. In summary, El is a time when the king is in the field. El is a time when we're able to cash in on the 13 attributes of mercy. But we need to give over our essence and Hashem will give us His essence. Now watch this. This is the spelling of the word Elul. 
Aleph, Lamid, Fav, Lamid. Bear this in mind. In the world, this is the way a heart is seen. This is the way the world sees a heart. But this is not the way Jews make a heart. What is the word heart in Hebrew? Anyone? Lave. Lamid Bez Lave. There's a book written many hundreds of years ago that goes through the Hebrew vocabulary and says, what does each word mean? Lave. What does lave mean? Why is lave heart? He says lave is lamid. What's the next letter? What is the numerical value of bet? Two. The numerical value of just bet. So he says, you want to know what a heart is? A heart is two lamids. Lamid and bet is just take it as its numerical value, two lamids. And I even have a picture for you. Yeah. A lamid. Yeah. Could you see over here? This is a copyright picture. And actually, this is a real piece of jewelry you could buy. You have one lamid. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> this is the heart. Two lamids. But what are two lamids? What is the letter lamid? The letter lamid is made up of three letters. You can pass it around. You have the letter Lamed starts off with the Yud on top. The letter Lamed starts off with a Yud. Please tell me, sorry, is everyone with me? This is really fascinating. Don't, don't lose me here. You have a Yud. You then have the trunk. You have a Vav. You have a Chaf. Mm-hmm. Yud Vav and Chaf So far so good? Mm-hmm. Okay The Yud Can anyone remind me in Kabbalah in, in Tanya what does the Yud represent? Ten. The intellect Ten. Well, Sorry the tense if he wrote you said good But we also mentioned that Yud the tiny letter The Yud just needs to be a tiny dot That's all the Yud is the whole fancy thing, that's not a yud. A yud, in, all it needs to be is a dot. That represents your brain. The vav represents the of your neck. The vav represents your neck. And chaf represents the rest of your body. A lamid is a healthy person. Not only is it healthy, it means that you have your mind and your heart in the same place. So when you say that someone has a heart, that means essentially you're saying not that they're loving, not that they're kind. You're saying that they're including their mind together with their entire being. Mm-hmm. 
That's why when we talk about love as a Jew, love is not an emotion. It's a full body being. That's why the Jewish heart is not just the emotions. This represents the heart, represents the emotions. But no, the true heart is when it's connected to your brain. Is when it's the what? Connected to uh, Chachma. Thank you, thank you. And now, this is the best part. <laughs> Elul. How many lamas does Elul have? Two. Okay. Aleph. What's the numerical value of Aleph? One. How many Hashem's are there? One. You know how there's only going to be one Hashem. If Lamed, one half, Hashem, right? The two Lamed represents two... Were we clear about that? The two Lamed represent two people being together? I'm sorry, if I wasn't clear about that. Each Lamed is one person. You have, so t- the, the Jewish heart is two Lameds, two people. That's what makes a full couple. So in Elul, we have Hashem is one. Aleph. But that's only going to be if we have Hashem's Lamed and our Lamed. <clears throat> and Vav, what does Vav do in the Hebrew vocabulary? And it's just a connection. So if you want to have the one Hashem, you need the Lamed and the Lamed. Let's summarize. In summary, it's a conjunction as in conjunction. Correct. It's, it's putting together. Thank you. In summary, this is a month that the king is in the field. This is a month where we need to take our Lamed, we need to take our being and connect to Hashem's being. But Hashem says, I want to be one with you. I want to be that beautiful heart, that beautiful lave, Lamed Bay is a two. That's what I want to be. Let's make it happen. And then comes Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and it's a done deal. And the coolest part is that this is all in our mundane activity. It's not that today is Shabbos and Yom Tov and we can't drive a car. We can't. No. We're, it's a men- it, today, it's a normal Monday. And yet on the normal Monday, Hashem is illuminating to us and giving us this energy and all we need to do is cash in on it. May we all truly cash in and take everything we can. Are there any questions or is there anything that I could share over? Yes. Oh, go ahead, please. Um, the, the second paragraph here. Is that where the expression that some people say, or some children say to their parents, you are treating me as an extension of yourself? Is that where it comes from? I'm just curious. Is that quote, is that a positive or negative quote? Sometimes negative. If it's positive, it could come from here. <laughs> a child is an extension of his, chi- of his parent. Right. The parent is faced with the hard task. Gershon, you want to help Yitzchak? Oh, I'm sorry. A parent is faced in one of the hardest tasks of parenthood, and you could ask the e- expert, I'm just sharing from what I've heard, that one of the hardest tasks of parenthood is being able to balance how much do I allow them to go free? How much am I able to watch over them? And eventually you've got to let them go. Right. right.
Okay. Yes, thank you. Yes, Gershon. It seems like I learned this a couple of years ago, but the king is in the field. I guess literally you can go out in the field and not do mundane activities, but uh, get close to Hashem. Or, as, as I think is the case, you can go about your daily business. You are dealing with fellow workers and customers, and, and you have an opportunity to elevate that experience to a very high level. Is, is that more what we're... Yes, exactly. Thank you guys for pointing that out. When the king is in the field, the analogy is that people are coming to their kings, to, the people are coming to the king in their overalls. They're coming straight from work. They're dirty and messy. And that's a very good point. Our connection to Hashem now is not only when, we, when we're in Shul. It's never only when we're in Shul. But in Elul, Hashem is even more in our workplace. Hashem is even more in our home. Hashem is even more revealed when we're driving to go shopping, whatever it is, than throughout the entire year. So very good point. Thank you, Garshin. Okay, good evening, everyone, and thank you very much. Thank you.